Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hello, and welcome to The Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Kathy Gaston, your host for today's discussion on great educational leadership. Our guest today is Jim Kubaki, author of the book, Choose to Lead, a Practical Guide for Educational Leadership. Jim currently is in his 12th year as president of St. Edward High School in Lakewood, Ohio. In addition to other notable achievements like bringing the International Baccalaureate Program to St. Edward's and helping the school launch the Andre Scholars Program for students with special needs, Jim helped guide a $24.5 million capital campaign. He has also been a football coach at Harvard and Fordham and associate dean of admission at Princeton University. Jim, we are thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you, Kathy. It's really great to be with you. So, Jim, in your book, you talk about leadership in four different parts. Can you share with us what those four parts are and how they impact a person's leadership abilities? Yeah, I'll be glad to. Uh, uh, It's important that the four pieces are interrelated uh, aspects of leadership, but the four parts are uh, personal leadership, which I'll probably spend the most time on, organizational leadership, visionary leadership, and operational leadership. When you look at personal leadership, I use phrases a lot to try to, to, try to uh, focus on things. And, and the one I use a lot is first we model. So, so as a leader, you always have to be aware that people are watching and that, uh, that you, how you conduct yourself is how you lead. And that leads to the second piece, which is authenticity. You can only lead by who you are uh, and lead from within. So you have to develop your own personal uh, leadership style. Uh, Who are leaders that you admire? What is it about them that you admire? Uh, In a book I I really like called Mandela's Way, uh, Richard Stengel talked about Nelson Mandela's approach to leadership. And one of the cool ones was that, and I think it helps to be authentic, is have a core principle and everything else is tactics. And for me, the core principle is servant leadership. I, I love the book, uh, James Hunter, The Greatest uh, uh, Leadership Principle, How to Be a Servant Leader. And obviously the phrase that you hear a lot is to lead you must serve. And I believe that's the core of everything. You don't, you're only a leader if you want to be here to leave the place better than we found it, right? You want to make a difference. You want to influence others in a positive way. So this is a wonderful guide. And I think uh, he talks about character and action. Leadership is character and action. And I think the best example is that when he looked at St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he saw all the traits of servant leadership in that passage, which you, you hear a lot at weddings, obviously. I thought I'd read it really quickly because it really, uh, I just added the word leadership instead of love, and I think it resonates. So if I, if I can, I'll read that. Leadership is patient. Sure. Leadership is kind. Leadership is not jealous. Leadership is not pompous. Leadership is not inflated. Leadership is not rude, nor does it seek its own interest. Leadership is not quick-tempered. Leadership is not brood over injury. Leadership does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Leadership bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. So I think that's a great way to capture servant leadership. And I think the mistake some people might make is that it's not a soft approach. It's not being subservient. It's being a servant. Uh, So you still have to make the tough decisions. You still have to hold people accountable. We did a retreat at St. Ed's for our kids because we we talk a lot about servant leadership. And when I asked students to write down a quality of a leader they admired, it could be living or dead. And then they shared their their qualities. Uh, it came down to character and skills. And so, uh, as you develop your personal leadership style, you need to to be thinking of those two things. I'm touch on skills in a minute. Organizational leadership. It's just big picture. You know, when you're the when you're the head of a school, you're the CEO. 
Uh, the principal or your second in command is the COO. They're responsible for the day to day. You can't get caught in the weeds. I think there are six great, uh, six major pieces that you have to be attentive to to be an effective head of school. Uh, people, it's always about the people. Uh, I think I, I say I'm a creative guy, but I, the only way I can honestly tell you I, I affected my school is by who I brought on board. And so uh, always be focused on people first. The second one is culture and mission. I think the one thing about being a school like ours is culture and mission, mission I believe, are the same thing, right? Um, where we're trying to uh, develop students a certain way uh, with a certain value base. Um, and I always say that that should be your bad sign. That should be what, you know, if people are making all these decisions all day, if they're focused on, you know, the culture and the, mainly the mission uh, up in the sky, Go ahead and make a decision. You'll make a good decision if it's based on our mission. Uh, excellence, you know, we run a business. And I think some people have said that but it's a competitive world. But on the other side, it's a competitive world that we want to give our students every advantage. So it's our job to prepare them as best we can for their world, not our world. Two revenue streams that you're well aware of. Um, you know, we have tuition and we have fundraising. And if you don't do those well, they don't exist. And as the head, you really are kind of that point person. Uh, in my view, in my particular instance, I, I don't love fundraising, and I, uh, but I love selling vision. And, and so that's kind of where I've come down. You have to be attentive and aware of the building blocks of the educational process, which I define as curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment, if you're going to be in this in education. And then the sixth one I think a lot of people also tend to miss is you have to be the public face of the community. Uh, I want St. Ed's to be a beacon in, in Lakewood, Ohio, in Northeast Ohio, in Ohio, and across the country. So you have to get out and develop relationships and leverage those relationships to, to better your school. Thinking of that, the, the second piece I want to mention is that you have to attend to the really key relationships when you're in, 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 in this role. And uh, the two most important uh, are the board chair head relationship. Uh, that's got to be seamless. And the head principal or second in command relationship. That has to be seamless. The third area is vision. And I divide this two ways. Um, one, I think you just have to have a mindset that's a visionary mindset. And, and that's just really endless, endless curiosity. Uh, I'm a big believer that there is nothing called the status quo. Uh, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. So if you're not getting better, <laughs> you're not staying the same. The head must lead that charge, in my view. You know, you're the person who knows the business best. You're the person who has to, to be out there. I think of a lot as, as focusing on accomplishments, you know. Um, and that's obviously where strategic planning can come in in a, in a very healthy way. But if you're not always working on what you're accomplishing, you're managing, you know, and if the bells work and everybody's where they're supposed to be, that's nice, but that's not going to move the school forward. And, and so I think being a visionary in that sense, it's just a lot of effort um, and a mindset. When you talk about creating a vision, you know, uh, we like James Collins, good to great. And, and, and one of the things he said is, what's the... What can you be best in the world at? And when we uh, when we sat down to look at that, obviously, I think values are critical and, and like a, and timeless. We believe that as a college preparatory school, there's certain habits of mind, get to write well, present well, think well. And then we started focusing on what we call teaching to the future, which is uh, 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 where is this world headed? And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, too. And the fourth area is operational. You know, let's just think about it's the nuts and bolts of execution. Uh, another way to think about it is, that, you know, the craft of leading, you have to have a, you know, working knowledge. It just comes with experience. You just have to get in there, roll up your sleeves and get to work. But you have to be attentive to, I, th I think, a couple of critical areas. Uh, governance, you know, when you work under a board, the board hires the head. Um, that's a really critical relationship and, and often misunderstood relationship. And so 
Uh, you have to work hard at that. Resource development, we talked about. Uh, you have to fundraise. Admissions and marketing. If, to, if students do not show up, you go out of business very quickly. So, so what's your messaging, especially in a, in a social media world? You know, you have a very strong finance person, right? That you trust implicitly and that you can really uh, walk down this path together. We're not, you know, we do have to actually work within a budget. The, um, you have to have a pretty good sense of the legal world. I joke in these days, half joke, that if I was going to apply for another head job, the first question I'd ask is, who's your lawyer? Because I'm going to talk to them about every two weeks. <laughs> I'll call our guys and say, hey, you haven't heard from me. Are you, do you miss me? That I think a couple of areas that have grown in, in much more importance, uh, unfortunately, in, in our world today is safety. Um, and uh, that can be both physical safety, but also mental health, as we're all seeing, with the, with, especially with the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. Crisis management, you know, we, we, we live in a social media world, so you better be on top of that. You better have a plan and you better have a team. Uh, so that when things do happen, you can get your message out in front of the of the world, especially media. So those are the things, uh, the four things: uh, personal, uh, organizational, big picture, visionary, where are you going, and operational. You know, just how do we how do we actually execute when we're trying to do our day to day job? I really like what you said about you don't love fundraising, but you love the mission. And in our work with clients, we run into that all the time where they'll say, oh, I'm not good at fundraising or I'm not good at asking for gifts. And I always explain to them, that doesn't have to be your strength. Your, has, your strength has to be, do you love the organization? So I really that's, like that you point that out. That's a great way of saying it. Uh, again, I, I just, uh, you know, it, it, when I when I did, a, uh, we ran a school in, in Seattle, East Side Catholic, and we did a major fundraising operation. And I told our, uh, our development person, who was wonderful, I said, look, I don't, I, I'm busy. I can think of every reason not to call these people, right? Because I, I can make excuses. And she's, and she sat across from me and would hand me a folder and say, here's the call. Here's the first thing you want to find out. And so she kind of held my feet to the fire. But, but I did find that I do, I do love selling the vision. You know what I mean? I really do. So I'm like, team me up. And then, you know, and, and again, you have to finally realize that it's not going to get done if you don't ask, you know what I mean? And, and that is, it is your job to ask, but a good development person goes a long way. <laughs> yes. Yes. We will agree with that. So Jim, what's the main thing that you believe stands in the way of a good school leader becoming a great and highly impactful school leader? And how does one overcome those things that stand in their way? Yeah, I found that to be a really great question because it could have a lot of different answers. Because as I said, the four parts really are, are they overlap, right? So, so you kind of have to have your handle on all four, in my view. But let me give you, let me take a shot at it. Let me give you a couple. One would be I think the two biggest differentiators between good and great leadership are vision, which we just talked about, and competitiveness. I think oftentimes you know people don't understand your your job is to make this place the best it, it'll ever be. And give your kids though that those skills, not not competitive skills, but the skills to you know to, to operate in the world. So you need to be focused on vision, and you need to be competitive, and you need to try to always want your school to be the best, and figure out ways to make that happen. I already mentioned people, but it's not only acquire, it's not only bringing in the best people, but it's developing the trust. You can't go anywhere without trust. And that gets back to authenticity. You know, you have to be who you are. I think one that as the more I, the more I'm in the world. How you judge talent, you know, and how you develop talent in, in, in our world is very critical. As you may guess, given the last couple of years, people aren't flocking to these positions. You know, they're, they're very demanding. And, and another book I, I uh, 
when you talk about the talent development, uh, uh, another book I reference in, in my book is is by Chris Chris Monosinger, who was my coach in Seattle, uh, the shift from one to many, the shift from one to many. And what Chris Mon said was, look, we all said we all get ahead because we perform well, right? We exceed expectations, we get noticed, we get promoted. And he said, but once you become a true leader, uh, you start to give away that power and that and that personal focus and focus on the people around you. And, and I always think you know, it makes perfect sense because 10 people can do a heck of a lot more than one person, right? So, so by focusing on the success of others, I think that's one of the critical developments, get the right people and then really celebrate them and let them be the stars. And, and I think that's absolutely run on the money. The one takeaway I had when I, when I read the book was that if you have a too much, if you have an ego, you're not gonna give up that power and those accolades, right? So you have to be a selfless person, which gets back to servant leadership. So, so I always love the way uh, Chris Mon framed that. I think courage of your convictions is important. You know, people have to know that you're gonna do what's right and not what's expedient. And that, uh, again, it goes back to your character. I always tell people, you got to ask the question all the time. Is this the right thing to do? And as hard as it may be, you just have to do what's the right thing to do. And so have that courage of your convictions. I was going to say, I think it's so uh, true when you say about ego, because I've seen some great leaders of organizations who have lots of skill sets, but their ego is so big, they don't bring in the people who can complement their skill sets. I think you're dead in the water if that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. I think ego and power are the two biggest uh, impediments to good, good, good organizations, right? Because um, again, it takes a village, it takes it takes everybody's collective talent and 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 the judgment and input and all those things. I talked about the skills, and I guess again to get them good to great. I think there are three important groupings of skills that are important for success. Leadership you project. I think it's your energy, right? People want to follow somebody who's optimistic, and I don't believe cocky, but who's confident and optimistic. And, and I always say, you know, I, I, we may not know what the right answer is, but I'm confident we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? So we're we're gonna we're gonna show that. So it's that energy, you know. And I'm not a rah rah person, but I think I'm a you know positive person. Uh, you're the head cheerleader, you know. You, people are gonna follow you if you if you you know roll up in a ball or make excuses or you know they're gonna be watching. And so it gets back to that first you model. And the second one is being level. Uh, it just happens to be my personality, which helps uh, given my background. But, you know, people people depend on consistency. So you can't be, you know, nice one in a moment and then fly off the handle the next. You know, you just, it's, this incongruency is, is devastating to a culture. So you have to be that model for staying level, work the problem, you know, see the Apollo 13 thing, <laughs> just work the problem, get to a good answer. So leadership, you project, leadership, you uh, project leadership and practice. This is the one that takes time over years. And that's that. How do you develop good judgment, decision making? I think it's initiative. You have to want to study a problem. You want to be able to now analyze a problem. You want to develop good judgment and you want to be decisive because you, you you ultimately have to be decisive. Reference Colin Powell, when Secretary of State and General, former general, and he always talked about making decisions between a number one, no information, 10, uh, maximum information. And he say, you know, if you make a decision at one, you're probably an idiot. If you make a decision at 10, you may miss the boat or you may never get that much information. And so he always just, he, he sort of decides between four and seven, you have to use your judgment, right? And so, but eventually, you know, as a, as a, as a leader of the school, I mean, you kind of have to make the call. So do your homework, treat every, every issue as new 
analyze the heck out of it, not to paralysis, but analyze it well. It's the time if it's on your side, it's the best you can. And, but also, you got you to gotta make the call. And you know what? If you do it honestly, you're going to be fine. Um, you're not going to be right every time, but you'll be right most of the time. And the third one is leadership you communicate. And I, I really want to emphasize to people, never underestimate your words, never underestimate what you're writing. I, I take a lot of time to 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 make sure those are those are all well crafted pieces of information, you know, uh, that you're no matter what you're writing and to whom you're writing. Obviously, listening is a skill at a, at a leadership level that I think is really critical to to really empathize with people, understand people. Uh, and the fourth, I would add, is vocabulary. And I use this a couple of ways. One, I, I think there are dangerous words out there, so I, I don't like the word challenge. I, I think it's a great word and can challenge people, you know, can excite people, but also wear you down. <laughs> I like opportunity. Opportunity is a much better word. <laughs> so I talk about opportunities versus challenges, things like that. But uh, but also, you know, in my world, can't tell you how often I hear people say my, my board, my school, my faculty. And when you say our, you know, it just sends a little bit different message. Um, exactly. You know, so so um, that's my uh, that's my sort of long-winded answer to a short question. <laughs> You've said that schools must grow and transform in order to meet the needs and opportunities of each successive <laughs> generation. What are opportunities that school leaders face today that you've been in education a long time that maybe you didn't face a decade ago? I mean, I know school security is obviously one of them. Yes. You know, they all have lawyers now. Yeah. I mean, that's, there, there's, a, there's a reality to some of that. You know, I think I think the the world we live in can be pretty pretty polarizing, right? And so I think getting people to really get back to developing relationships. We use a an approach at our school called cultural humility, which came out of the medical world in in the uh, out in California, because everybody was talking about cultural competence, you know, and understand and study other cultures. But uh, you do that to doctors; they want to be experts, you know, and so they're taking a course and telling somebody what who they are <laughs> instead of listening. So cultural humility makes people stop and say, now tell me about yourself or who are you? You know, so so it becomes much more relational and people don't get defensive. So I think that idea of uh, trying to teach relational thinking to, to young people is going to be really important in our world, in our country to, to keep moving forward. I think when you look at the educational process, uh, I think values are timeless. You know, I think your values shouldn't change. Uh, however you define your values for your school, right, or your community. But how you educate kids is always changing. And, and uh, too often we're a little bit late to the game. I think it's our job. I use the phrase, we need to peek over the horizon. It's my job to try and study where this is going and try and get there first. I, I was able to um, talk with a wonderful alum who we were thinking about this innovation center and we both agreed it was the right thing to do. And he gave this wonderful lead gift, he and his wife to, to get this project going. And, and we were gonna add a whole floor to a building that existed and just be about innovation. And I came back to St. Ed's, I go, oh my God, now I gotta figure out what the heck this is supposed to look like. <laughs> so, um, so I put together about 15 people, variety of backgrounds, and we met every Monday for about a year and a half. And we asked the question, what is a, what is a program of innovation? What does innovation look like? And, and it was very wonderful discussions. And what was the tipping point for us or the turning point for us was that we finally realized we weren't talking about a program because everybody goes to program. What's a course is? What is this? What's that? And you don't have all the time in the world. And they're expensive. Uh, we talked about we're really thinking about a culture. And, and when you have a culture of innovation, all of a sudden that opens up your thinking in lots of different ways, right? It's much more flexible as is our space now. 
it's much more about integrating. And, and we define technology. I mean, a lot of times people define innovation as technology, and it's not. Innovation is just, there's a, a Harvard Business School professor who defined it as new and useful, right? What's new and useful? And so it gets you off just thinking everything's got to be an app or everything's got to be, you know, uh, go to Mars. So when we did our, our, I talked about our three circles, right? We wanted to be the best at the world at the integration of three circles when we got back to uh, Collins. Uh, values, here's, here's how we define our values. College prep, here are the habits of mind that a good college-educated person should have, you know, essentially writing, reading, uh, critical thinking, uh, presenting well, listening well. Um, and then we got to this Teach of the Future that I mentioned a little while ago. And, and, and we spent a lot of time, we traveled around, we looked at lots of different Talk to different incubator type uh, innovative uh, businesses, and we came up with these nine strands. And so, not all are new, but together, I think they're where this where the world's going. And again, it's our best thinking. If somebody has nine better ones, then please tell me. But first is perspectives, which is not new, right? You have to be able to be understand there are other perspectives than your own. You have to be open to those perspectives, and you have to be empathic, right? You can't address a problem unless you really understand it from every possible angle. If you believe in that premise, then why do you teach in silos, right? So we, we're trying to be much more interdisciplinary because you don't solve problems in silos. You solve problems in an interdisciplinary fashion. Collaboration. When I grew up, if you wanted to collaborate, you played a sport, went out for the band, joined the play, you know what I mean? And, and nowadays, you cannot work in almost any organization unless you can play well in the sandbox and you can be a good collaborator. So you have to practice that. Rigorous problem solving. You know, I, I want our kids to, to be out there. And when somebody says, when, some, when you get a job and somebody says, here's a problem, we have no, no, we have no idea where to even start to solve the problem. I want our kids to say, I'm in. Let me, let me have a shot at it. And you have to practice that. I think relevance. Students are, are, are starved for relevance. When you, when you bring applications from the real world, they're much more effective. You know, you can be a 12-year-old uh, entrepreneur these days, right? So, so the kids are like, why do I need you anyhow? So, so trying to bring in the relevance and letting kids grapple with real-world problems is, is important. Assessing accurate data. You know, we are so flooded with data. How do you figure out if it's even accurate, let alone how to use it? I went to a, a presentation from a doctor and she was talking about just in her profession, uh, how long it would take for the amount of information available for, to her to double, right? 71 days. That's how much this stuff is, is churning out there. So we have to teach kids how to analyze just information for its, for its uh, accuracy. Data analytics, you know, that's just becoming more and more important to the world where you just have to be able to manage uh, manage big amounts of data and make sense of it. And, and it's 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 a have-to skill, not a want-to skill. Smart everything, you know. I, I, I remember attending a conference and this professor was talking about uh, technological singularities and talked about the Industrial Revolution. Everybody understands that as being such a great dramatic shift where a lot of things faded away, but a lot of new opportunities showed up. And he said a lot of people think computers is that generation, is that it does not rise to that level. He said, but AI, he said in about 2035, computers will be smarter than we are. Uh, that's how fast AI is developing. And guess what? If you're a teenager in, in, a, in American high school right now or any high school right now, uh, you're going to be in your prime earning years when all that hits. So how are you going to take advantage of that amount of disruption and we're already seeing it, obviously, in different ways. And then the last one is interesting. We added film program to St. Ed's uh, a while back. And I was really thinking, if you asked me back then, I would say, well, I'm just teaching English on their terms, right? I'm still teaching character plot, you know, all those wonderful things, but on their terms. And now I, I think digital storytelling is, in fact, 
a need to scale. If you're in a media, social media world, you've got to be able to present yourself. You've got to be able to fashion your arguments. You've got to be able to do it digitally. So, so those are the nine strands when we talk about teaching the future that, that we think are right now our best shot at, at trying to get our kids prepared uh, for a world that doesn't exist, you know, in 10 years or 15 years. And we'll see. I mean, again, we're, we're really, it's not like we're knocking these out of the park. We're just really getting started. And, and they'll never end. You'll just keep analyzing, 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 and seeing how things change. But that's kind of, at least from a, from a, a curricular or educational standpoint, um, where I think uh, we want to focus. We don't want to lose sight of our values ever, because that's our reason to be. We still have to learn, teach reading, writing, and, you know, you have to be able to do all those skills well, but then these new ones are just really coming at really a, a incredible speed these days. And, and it's kind of fun, kind of exciting to be in this world. But that, yeah, that's where we're at. Well, Jim, I understand you are retiring in June. Is that correct? Amy and I, uh, my wife Amy and I are uh, uh, st- are starting our LLC called Choose to Lead. And uh, we, we, we tell people we're transitioning. And, and, and uh, I want to stay engaged. I want to stay relevant. But, uh, you know, we want to control our time a little bit better. It's exciting. I mean, it's a new chapter. I, I've loved every minute of being at St. Ed's. Uh, we've done some great work, I believe. Great, great community. And Amy and I are just going to kind of venture off on our own. And, you know, the book obviously is the... Uh, it's the calling card. It's sort of like if this is what we believe. If you like that, then you know, happy to happy to hang out with you guys. But yeah, so so and the other answer is I'm just not a very good golfer. <laughs> so. Well, I'm sure they're going to miss you, but I think it sounds like you still have some exciting things to contribute. I thank you so much for joining us today on the Beacon Podcast. You've given our listeners and me a lot to think about and some great guidance. Uh, for our listeners, you can email Jim at Jim at Choose to Lead. That's the number two. Dot org or connect with him on LinkedIn. Choose to Lead is available online at choosetolead.org. Again, I'm Kathy Gaston. Thanks for joining us and see you next time on the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews suggest future topics, and learn more about upcoming podcasts and guests at lighthousecouncil.com.